So welcome, everybody. Welcome back to the podcast series of Best Practice Network, Talking Leadership. Uh, we've got a great topic today and two great uh, speakers, presenters, and panel uh, chat hosts with us today. So looking forward to the one. So our real topic is going to be the changing role of HR. And this is something that's really come about with a number of discussions that I've been having with a group of my members. I've been chatting around the last few weeks in, in Queensland, New South Wales. And I know it's a topic around the uh, around the whole of the network, Australia and New Zealand, and which, as you know, includes Vietnam and Sri Lanka as well. So Eric, welcome back. It's been a while, but looking forward to this discussion. Yeah, mate, thanks for having me back. Yeah, look forward to it very much so. So what I'd like to do now is welcome a person that uh, I know on network definitely will have um, seen and heard and uh, and been involved with before. So Cheryl, Cheryl Jekyll. So hello, Cheryl. How are you? Hello. Doing well. It, that's what we got to say. So Cheryl is uh, is over in the US. So it's uh, it's last night for us. So it's obviously the morning for us. So for those of you who haven't been aware, Cheryl has, has run a number of workshops in Australia for us. And we also work with Cheryl as part of our uh, study tour, a Canadian study tour. And we have a great group coming to or going to the AME Dallas conference in October. So looking forward yeah. to catching up there. Cheryl, after Three years it would have been now. So uh, looking forward to getting back. Our other panellist today is Catherine, Catherine Dawson of AI Group. So Catherine, how are you? I'm well, thank uh, Kevin. How are you? <laughs> no, we're very good and looking forward to your input as well. So Catherine, just very briefly, just to give some context, uh, what's your role within AI Group and what's your focus at the moment? My role at AI Group is uh, managing the HR consulting practice. So that's been in in existence for about three years now. So we're building a, a practice there, a community of practice, really. AI Group is a representative of employers across Australia. So it's the voice of industry, one of the voices of industry, I should say. <laughs> and so my role is to, um, I do fee-for-service to our membership. It's a subscri- subscription-based uh, organisation. And um, so, yeah. That's what I do. And Cheryl, I know some of our members will be aware of you and uh, looking forward to having you back in Australia as well. But it'll be, I think it'd be help to appreciate just to give people a position yourself on another work you have been doing and where your focus is at the moment. So I've been doing more people value stream work in the last two years in terms of my area of thought leadership, which is mostly been focused on how can we better understand how people flow, how people operate, what they need, how they're wired and best meet their needs. And if we could better meet the needs of people, it would help everything else. So things like the great resignation have, it's been and kind of merged together. Uh, We were doing it because we think it's the best way to treat people, but it has ended up to be the main topic of of the day, so to speak, which is we need to get better at how we support people. Yeah, no, I, I, excellent. And I think there's, um, and we're going to talk about some key trends at the moment. So there's a terminology, which uh, again, I'd be interested if anyone's picked up at the moment, the, but there is now we've, we've had the great resignation and the great vacation and a number of other greats. Um, the one we're hearing at the minute is the great reset. So a complete reset in terms of how we do think, operate and uh, on a personal life and uh, and the professional life as well. So I think it's been quite interesting to, um, of, of where those key themes have come from. Um, and I know, Cheryl, you, you in terms of our members, you have a you have a real focus about the lean and the HR and HR lean about lean within HR roles, but also how HR can fully support lean implementation and high value within business. So I'm going to kick off with the first question here, and I will relate back to to Eric as well, because as we all know, Eric has, has got over 200 now, so he's told a podcast and how that relates back to his leadership. So Catherine, just uh, but I'm going to kick off. I did send through some questions. So what's just some of the, the key things we've picked up? Obviously, a lot's happened over the last two years, but what's been some of the, the key HR trends or or activity that you've seen that have just risen to the top over this period? I looked at your questions and I made some fairly clear notes, but I suppose um, I was just going to lead off from what Cheryl just said as well. And I'm, I love the language you're speaking because it's the language I speak as well <laughs> around, you know, the value of people, the the employee value proposition as well, I suppose, more than anything. So it's become very clear over the last two years that our employees are the lifeblood lifeblood of our business. And I talk about now because we're all together in this. And um, I think, you know, some of the things I've written down is to just be mindful that 
you know, you just can't apply the same rules to every individual. Every individual has different needs and wants. So I think, you know, how to manage employees remotely was one of the big things that came up over the last two years. And I suppose if I go back, I mean, that was the biggest challenge for a number of businesses. I mean, I, I do retain services with a number of businesses and some of them were in essential services, so they didn't have too much impact at all. But the other ones had a massive impact. And the massive impact was around managers knowing how to trust their people to do the work. And how do you trust people to do the work? Well, you actually set clear expectations. And some organisations didn't have position descriptions. So we go right back to the basics on things as well. So getting people to understand what their role is and what their expectations are on a daily, weekly basis. And then that's how you build your trust as well. And um, some managers had a lot of difficulty doing that. So it was around coaching managers on how to do that well. So that was one of the key learnings for me over that period. I think the other thing is about being flexible and being flexible that people were actually at home managing families as well as homeschooling. And sometimes a little head might just pop up on a webinar or a Zoom and that's okay because that was allowed to happen during that period of time. And I think that's the the kicker into, you know, your next question as well. So, you know, what's happening now, but we'll get to that in a moment. But I think what else have I got? So full, I think one of the things was HR became very needed over that period of time because of the people aspect of what they do. So I think it's, it eleva- elevated, if we want to call HR a brand within the business, but it did elevate it because everyone was throwing their hands up in the air, well, everyone generalising, but who's, who, who knows how to do this stuff? We don't know how to do this. Who's going to help us? So I think HR definitely got to sit at the top table in some organisations where it wasn't sitting before. And hopefully that position has been retained because they should be part of the decision-making in the business as well um, yep. and partner clearly with the business. Anyway, I go on a bit, don't I? <laughs> yeah, no, that's, no that, that's great. That's fantastic. There's some some real key points there. And I'm just checking where, where Cheryl is now. And I'll ask Cheryl to come in. But I think I think you've raised – oh, there you go, Cheryl. Um, I think you've raised some pretty key points that I want to explore. And I know Cheryl will as well. So – Shell, so we talked about the manage people remotely, the build trust, being flexible, things happen. And I think we've all had to get really used to that in terms of where we are and, and the, the becoming relevant. And I, I want to explore that a little bit and immerse. So any other particular trend or key things you've seen, Cheryl, which either support that or anything that you want to add? Do you mean more specific to the, to the COVID situation or, or just in general? Yeah, I'm using the last two years because that's what comes in. Some other cool things are happening that I don't think are actually quite related to this. Um, There's Mm -hmm. a big trend towards um, designing employee experiences. Um, I looked up not that long ago, current trends in HR titles, and that's becoming a common, a more common title. So I've been learning more about it. At one end of the spectrum, that could be AI, artificial intelligence technology. I have a group that I'm um, having them share their work, who has software that literally, as they onboard people, it monitors what they pick in their responses to the things they read and how they feel about it, and course corrects. It literally improves the onboarding experience through technology on a day-to-day basis. All the way over, I have a couple of examples where people are doing really great work in really doing deep levels of empathy work. It's kind of part of, I've actually become much more interested in agile HR, the part of design thinking, okay. yeah. but it's it's becoming more mainstream is how do we design better experiences and we use partly empathy and design thinking to do it. So it's much more, I think, to the individual and really a much deeper level of how well we meet their needs. One of the other things that we are seeing is we we may have gone down this path we may not have done it so quickly you know because obviously things changed and there's still still some common thinking around about we've had 10 years of change in a year and there's another 10 to 20 years coming so things that we were thinking about or uh, wondering how it was going to be done have now happened so now we're on to the now we're on to to the next level and i think i love the whole idea of the, the employee experience because we know 
Sheldon and Lean, we've always talked about customer experience and, and those type of things. And, and that's now that's now coming out. But I think the, the relevance part, I always say to people, I'd love in hindsight to have done an exercise with leaders and HR teams or leadership teams three, three years ago and say, okay, who do you think is your top 10 most valued people that you need in the business? And I'd love to do that list again now because of the experience you've now been in. Yeah is how much of that list would have changed because I think Catherine you said it as well is about the the people understanding I I've now got to make a decision because of isolation or that type of thing who do I really need to keep this business going and I've realized that I need someone to come in and open the door turn it on and actually start the computer or take the calls or, or run the machine and the whole value perception i think has completely changed which i think is fantastic i think it, it's where it should have been which now shell then comes back to your point i then say okay now you've got that new list now be honest how well have you really treated some of those people you know in terms of development security looking after them and and, and those type of things and i you know and i think this, this this has really come out part of it and what just sits behind it and i'll come back to you from there then is about now we know that I think one of the things we have become more connected with our staff because we've now got to know more about them, you know, because we've had to learn about their lifestyles, what their family are, you know, in terms of what their family conditions are and how we need to work with them. And as you, Catherine, said, if I'm in a Zoom call and and kids pop up or we've had grandparents pop up or cats or dogs pop up, you go, oh, I didn't realise that's what you have to deal with when you're at home. So... I think there's a massive connection opportunity that we, we've got to make use of. Eric, you've got your hands up there. Just um, if I could throw something into the mix, and this is an, an enlightening discussion because I, I sometimes need to take a step back and realise that well, uh, when you talk about leadership, you're really talking about the management and interactions of human beings, and that's where that HR function is quite uh, critically important. One thing to, to, as a context thing here, and I think it's important, I recently spoke with Jonathan Mamerell from uh, NB Lawyers who suggested that as part of the HR mix when you're looking at legal risks in your business what are your policies what are your procedures and are you implementing them in a way that uh, one has procedural fairness and two is about getting to an outcome that is both beneficial to the business as well as being beneficial to the human beings that are involved and one thing that stands out in this conversation and and i may be reading something into this so if my guests want to shoot me down this is the the best opportunity to do this because it's the only way that i'll learn is when you talk about hr policies and procedures and, and dealing with a HR function, that'll work in certain size businesses. But as you get smaller, there may not be a HR function and that HR perspective and the issues you need to keep in mind may reside with a leader that doesn't have an individual who's a specialist in HR. So the the lessons that we're talking about here and the issues that are being brought up are quite critical, whether you've got the capacity in your business to have a HR function or if you don't. So I just thought I'd throw that in for context. And, and if there's there's any nuance there, please challenge me on it. But that's that's what I'm seeing at the moment. Again, I bring this from a person who does not have a HR specialty, but is seeing it from a, a leader sort of macro perspective for what that's worth. Cheryl, any thoughts on what Eric has just shared there? Oh, where do I begin? Um, <laughs> your first mistake was listening. No, I was, I was kidding. I'm just kidding. I didn't mean to put it that way. But here's what I know from many years. I'm, I'm in the later part of my career. Most legal concerns really come from poor treatment of people. And so if people put, in general, I don't care what size company, and I don't care what the approach to leadership is, if we were just treated people better as people, we'd have less issues and there would be less, the, the longer I watch, there's a lot of things that HR put in place under some concerns, legal concerns, afraid of this happening, afraid of that happening. And the more we've done that, the more we created the thing we were trying to stop from happening in its own way. We, we create the community. And I think I've come to a place like many of those policies need to be redrafted and rewritten anyway to be more of the people for the people kind of stuff. Like how how do you want to run attendance? How, how do you all want this to be? And they will create the best attendance policies. So things like point factor systems to make sure everybody's treated identically and it's fair and it's just, just create, I think, a more parent-child work environment 
It doesn't create trust. It doesn't create adult behavior. If you treat people like children, they start to act like children, not because they are children. It's because it's the way you're treating them. And that's not respect. So I really, I've become a bigger fan of let the people guide in the policies. And I don't need to talk to Catherine out of like an HR being in the middle of all that, like they're the keepers of it has been the kiss of death for that function. It's been like they're, it's like, the, it's uh, leave it to them to make us do the right thing. Then they'll be the parent of all the children, you know, because they'll make them do the right things or say the right things. And it's just not a value add role. I just think we need to rethink it. What do you think, Catherine? <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Cheryl. Absolutely agree. You have me at hello. But, you know, I think the thing is, you know, and I do quite a lot of policy work, reviews and handbooks and those sorts of things, which isn't my most exciting pieces of work, but it, I see it as a great opportunity to really have an impact and it's an opportunity to really um, change the landscape. If the employer who's driving that project is open to feedback and open to gathering more information from the employees as well, because you can you can embed so many things into policy and they're not just compliance. Compliance is one tick that you need to go through every year and make sure you're just up to date with what the current employment law is. And I'm, I'm from an organisation where we have 40 lawyers nationally. So we're a large lawyer-centric historically organisation, but they they have a mixed hybrid skill set. So again, policies, you know, I do a quiz at the end of every policy as well, because number one, it's it can humanise it a lot more. So I put in, oh, can I turn up to work drunk? Well, no, you can't, you know. <laughs> but, I mean, it's putting it in plain English, you know, those sorts of things, and it, it makes it a little bit more relevant to the individuals. Well, I didn't, don't actually like that one, that one sentence, but something like that. But I do do work in manufacturing as well. So I do work with people that English isn't their first language also. And, I mean, you know, if, you, if you're just going to just, go and do, do a, a template, which we have on our website and all the tools and templates as part of your membership. Most of the time, I'm tailoring those to a business. They can download them and just put their organisation name in them, but they don't want that, which is great. They want me to tailor it for them and make it meaningful for that actual business. So, you know, what do you call your people? Are they, are they employees or are they team members? Don't just have the, the standard language, make sure you make it personalised for that organisation so it's real and make it a, a, a version for review so people can actually review it, provide feedback and make changes. But again, it's an opportunity. I, I totally agree with Cheryl. You know, mm. compliance is one very small part of it. It's the opportunity of getting people to understand. That goes back to what I originally said around expectations as well. Mm. And if you've got clear expectations in your on onboarding program or induction, whatever you'd like to call it, and it's clear, it's open, it's it's good dialogue, it's it's made for the the readership, and you know it's understanding and it's paced. It's not all, everything overloaded all at once on the first day. And right, do you remember all of that? Great, off you go. <laughs> you know. It needs to be measured and it needs to be layered, learning over a couple of months, six months, and then it leads into that development review as well. So they're the things that if you do all of that well, I probably don't have much of a job, you know, <laughs> because, um, you know, people get what's going on, but there's always human nature that will push the envelope and challenge occasionally, and that's yeah. where it keeps us busy as well. So, Catherine, so I think you picked up on a point earlier about the, the change in, in, in this whether the right term is remote leadership or remote management, yes. because uh, I, I think it's something. And I, I had a conversation with with someone again. This change in technology piece about with a fairly large corporate who said, look, one of the big things they've learned is they've been talking about remote offsite home working for ten years, all right, and yeah. had never got around to doing it. You know, and we talk about the power of change sometimes in the change management, and sometimes you keep talking about the deal with it. And one of the things their CEO is is reflecting, and especially around a people engagement, people management point of view as well. What are all the things that we were talking about that we never got around to doing that we've now had to just do because we were all in the occasion where literally at whatever time in March 2020, our world were just completely turned upside down in terms of can't travel, can't go into work and everything else. And I think one of the biggest things, and it'd be interesting if it's one of the key challenges which we're going to move on to now is 
is the ability of our leaders and managers to remote to remotely do that well because I think you may have picked up Gavin. We there were no those clear expectations in the workplace because I did this by command and control. I did this because I could walk around and talk to people. I could go and have a look at what they're doing. I knew when they were at the desk and not at the desk. You know, I could I could do all those type of things. So you know, I, I think this this people value and people change has, has impacted everybody. You know, we've all been completely tested here. And it's now what do we think is how we're going to pick it up and deal with it. And I know, you know, Sharon and I have kind of conversation packed around about this is about this people engagement and maybe the leader doesn't know the best is something that I'm still hearing is a bit of an issue within within organizations. And people are starting to realize that they, they do need to engage and interact with their teams in a completely different way. And that can be quite challenging at a leadership point of view so what, what have we seen in terms of leadership in terms of data conversations with with leaders what what's some of the key hr type related issues that, that, that we're seeing here in terms of lead cheryl so you, i know you work with some quite large and, and obviously work around um, internationally as well so what's some of the the leadership challenges you in your in your role that you're you're hearing or dealing with at the moment i mean the first one is um, just making sure leaders are fully skilled You know, they'll talk about being stuck at things that just require holding people basically accountable to basic things. And you a lot of times just have shortage of leaders that really know how to do that. They're a bit lost at sea with what are the expectations and, and how do I have those conversations with people? It's certainly become more clear you need to have a more relational style of leadership. If you treat people poorly, they'll just quit and go down the street and probably get a $2,000 raise while they go down there. So they're more clear. We have to protect, we have to protect, you know, the people they're fighting hard to get people and they're fighting hard to keep them. So then what can end up happening is then they're not holding them accountable to things because they don't want to upset anybody or, you know, make anybody mad or things like that. So they're struggling with that. They're almost all struggling with how to get enough people in the door and they're having to accept there just is a limit to how many people they're going to get. So now we're going to have to figure out how will we get along with 80% of the people that we need. So we're, we're just missing a, a chunk of people. And many of the businesses are all in growth mode because yes. things have shifted what's in demand. So like one of my clients make uh, clippers for animals and uh, men's hair clippers. And so clippers, cutting your own hair for your animals or for yourself, is like just exploded. And so there's just a lot of businesses like that that have had huge um, upticks. And then they're having to deal with a lot fewer people to make all that extra product. So that creates a lot of stress and, you know, people can get worn out. So it goes back to, again, developing communication between people and support. A lot of the supervisors, mid-level leadership, I think, just end up just in a pressure cooker of trying to get things done without the right resources. And they're trying for all they're worth. So I've been really encouraging groups to, you know, if you need 10 a day and they can only make eight, change the goal to eight. Setting people up to feel unsuccessful every day isn't good for anybody. And if the circumstances drive a new limitation, then you might as well adjust some things because you're really going to damage the morale and the self-esteem and just the general energy of a group if you leave them in a mode to fail. And again, they're missing supply chain issues. They've got shortages. They come in every day and try and get work done. And this is wrong. And people are out sick and we're missing this and this is wrong and this is wrong. And so you just have, they, I think they did adjust their sites and support the groups and being successful in a new situation. Yeah. And I think it's a great point you made. And I think this is why we wanted to have this conversation because just being the transactional HR in terms of attendance or discipline or that type of thing, it just adds to the boiling pot again, in terms of, you know, it just, it's, it's that traditional type of moving. And I want to pick up a point that you said, Cheryl, as well, is I'm not aware of any of my members, and it sounds like the same in the US and whatever, is none of my members are complaining about a low order book, all right? They are completely full, and most of them are in growth mode. So it's just not doing what I've got to do now, you know, and I'm talking to some who've got full order books for 2024, 2025, and it's like 30, 40% gross. And now it's about the realization that maybe I'm not going to get those extra 10 people. Now, what do I do? So, exactly right. yeah, because I can't just bring in people anymore. I don't get 100 people applying. 
you know i don't i don't get all that all that type of thing so there's this um, I suppose we're picking up on a few points earlier. There's a there's a big change around at the minute. Well, maybe I, I've got to work with the group that I've got. Now, how can I help them? Really interested in that AI type, type thinking. How can I help the people I've got now to be better at what they do, help them be more comfortable and, and be more productive? I was going to say, um, and that's about, reorganization of the business i mean it's 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 making sure that you're working as smart as you possibly can and and applying your lean principles as well but just sort of like hovering above it and just looking at every possible part of the business to make sure that it is as efficient as possible and making sure you've got those skills and if you haven't who's got the ability to learn them number one and how quickly can they get up to speed because the if you have people there that can't move forward with you, then it's about making sure that they have the skills to move forward with you or yep. potentially they're not suited to that new business model. And then it's about finding the right people for those roles as well. But, I mean, this is about succession planning as well, but it's also about making sure you've got a forward plan that's flexible enough to, to move with COVID and the like because <laughs> that's that diversified some businesses that totally made them do a flip into something completely different in some circumstances as well. But I think, you know, moving back to when we were talking about um, the impacts of COVID as well and also where what we're dealing with now, I'm also finding um, a group of or a cohort of members that are relieved somewhat and want to go back to the way they were. <laughs> and And I have this challenge about going, well, why would you go back to where you were? You've made all these great inroads into all these other areas, but they don't want people to be working from home. They want them. And I did a webinar about this about two months ago, the big return. You know, we talked about all the bigs and this was on the big returns. And um, it's about convincing or convincing, helping, helping employers understand the benefits of a hybrid work model as well. And the research that I did, and you can correct me here, Cheryl, but, but it, it Roughly worked out to be about 30% of people wanted to stay at home permanently and not come to work. About 30% wanted to actually be in the office, fixed, don't work at home. And about 60% are quite happy with a hybrid mix. And that's from a lot of the research I got from Harvard Business Review, mainly. And I think that that, you know, when I talked to them about those stats, they thought, oh, well, it's not the end of the world. Maybe if I just give them a day here and a day there. But it still doesn't take from the fact that they learn, need to learn those skills to actually manage people remotely. Again, we're back to that. But thinking differently, it's about helping them stay in that mindset of growth mindset as opposed to that fixed mindset of where they were before I can go back to my comfort zone of I can physically see someone working, so they're working. But we all know there's presenteeism. They turn up, but they don't work. <laughs> so there's all of that that we're contending with. Cheryl? Um, actually, one of the things I was going to mention is I think, uh, Kevin, it's, it's still along the same lines when you mentioned you know, being in a growth mode and realizing we're not going to get those extra people and you come to terms with that. I've been seeing um, organizations just adopt new behaviors they wouldn't have. An example is there was a plant and they always said everybody had the same schedule. This was the hours we work. So then they started changing schedules. They started to have some people work eight-hour shifts, some people work 12-hour shifts, and they created variation. And they started to make more, a lot more room for more people to come in the door. And they had always been in the paradigm, so to speak. Well, everybody has to work the same schedule. Nothing else would work. Why would you want that production line working one way and this doing another? But they needed more people. And so it's like getting into new ways of thinking. Like, where do we get ourselves stuck in limits that are in our, mostly our mind. And they thought, you know, I'll try it. We just experiment, just try it out. And it worked great. And they have some of the best attendance in the entire company because they've got schedules that work better. They also shifted the time and they made some of this stuff more family friendly. Um, A family friendly policy working 12 hour days doesn't work for many people with children. They can't get childcare to cover a 12 hour day. So it's not whether they can work, it's like they can't get the childcare. So they got in a whole bunch of people that would work a shorter day. So I think some of it is, well, if those things won't change, the growth in the people, what could change? Yeah, that's that internal perspective. I think that's, and and this is where, and and we We've got a session coming up in August, which is that great release. You've got to take it on board now. You you are where you are. 
you know, we stop looking back. There's, you can things you can learn, but everyone now wants to go, well, if this is where I am, what well, I've got to reset what I do, what I think. There's some things you won't change because it's the nature of maybe your products or your processes, but everything's on the table now. Everything's on the table. Mm-hmm. And I want to come back to the point because, and I know this is a passion for both of you, but typically that's not most leadership teams would say, right, we've got to reset. We've got to do everything else. I don't think they would normally call in an HR team to be part of that discussion because you're just there in terms of attendance and sickness. And I need 10 new people go, go and go and find them for me. Are you, are you still coming across that? Or do you think that traditional way of working now has passed? I'm just really interested about, are we still got a lot of business that's almost got the head in the sand going, no, I just keep doing it. I did. Or do you, yeah. do you think we've unleashed it now? I think, you know, how it starts, it might start with, oh, well, we, you know, we just can't get people. So it'll present itself as something completely different. But when you dig deeper, it'll come back to, right, so let's look at your recruitment practices. Let's look at your advertising. Let's look at how you actually widen the net. Let's also look at why you're actually recruiting this role first of all. So every role that becomes available is an opportunity to reevaluate whether you need it and or what skills you're going to get that are the value adds to take you into the future as well. So it's a really big piece of work if you want it to be (laughs) rather than go thumbs on seats or excuse my language. But, you know, one person replaces another person, same skills. It just doesn't work that way. Every every time, it's like when you do... um, you know, you're, you're planning for the future and you say to all your managers, right, okay, so let's talk succession. Who can do your role? Oh, well, I don't have anyone. How does that happen? <laughs> you know, like, so it's it's always thinking about who's going to, like, it's, you know, accrual leaves. I've got a big problem with my leave accruals. There's so much leave accrued for long service leave. I've got great tenure, but no one ever takes leave. Okay, what's the reason? Well, they feel that there's no one can do their job and they go on leave. Okay, so let's start talking about you do need to take leave, you need to manage it to leave, you need to forecast that leave, but what you also need to do as a manager is plan how to take that leave and who's going to step up while you're away. So all those things, you know, they're always systemic of something else. So it'll present itself with a basic thing like, well, I need to get rid of this person, but it's not really I need to get rid of this person, you just don't have a performance management tool and you haven't been managing that person very well at all and giving them any opportunity to turn themselves around or retrain they're just sick of it and they've never documented it and but you're six months into it and they're just like i'm over it i've got to go but it's always dig deep and find the cause the root cause and and let's unpack it Hmm. so i think that's great you've got their challenge the whole challenge each and every role every role and i've also got the point i've picked up on and then i'll come back to Cheryl is there, these are also development opportunities. So Absolutely. it's it could be a, a development, and that's part of that value stream of that show, the value mm-hmm. stream of that people is giving it as, a, as, as an opportunity. And I'm just going back to, to Eric here is, I think you've had some, I think you've had some discussion, especially around some of the sports people and, and, uh, and military and that type of thing, where the thinking is about, Stepping up into a role is a development opportunity. It's a learning opportunity. Therefore, the person may not be quite ready yet, but are they ever going to be ready if they never have to have the role completely? Eric, am I right? You've come across some of those discussions? Yeah, particularly in the military context now, again, it's a military context for a reason, but the the big learning I took out of that was they train their people to do the job above them or a few levels above them. That way you've got flexibility. If, if the proverbial hits the fan, then you've got people that can move up or down knowing that they've been trained for those positions. Now, uh, the reality in, in the workplace is some workplaces won't be able to do that, but a culture that fosters opportunities to, to do the things that you you're talking about is something that that I'm seeing a little bit more. Um, one one of the issues that I, I don't think's been brought up. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong here, but that in the HR space that I've seen is dealing with uh, mental health issues and and issues that have come from the last couple of years. Now I know in in talking to you offline, Kevin and others around. Well, it's not about looking back. There are going to be longer term consequences from what. COVID has done to workplaces and people are willing to talk about right now. And one of those is the mental health impact, not just on your staff. And I think Cheryl alluded to this before. It's about the people managing those staff. If 
if if I'm correct in my assumption here that some people, some leaders, people, some leaders have been caught out potentially not seeing the world of work as it actually is and pretending things have gone along a certain way, the the impact of what COVID's done is brought those things to light. And I think some people are under enormous amounts of pressure and maybe a function into the future of HR is to identify when you've got some stressed leaders in the organization, because if at, at the top, your leaders aren't functioning at their best, that's going to have consequences on the people that they deal with. So that that's what's been coming out. And I hope I've answered your question, Kevin. I, I just, I see it in my industry. So I work in the commercial fishery space and I've seen business owners and business leaders under enormous amounts of stress. Not not just the daily stuff that you get in the business, but what, what COVID's done is it it's made people ask some questions. And to finish this point, Kevin, and I think it's one you've been alluding to is leaders that don't have good self-reflective practice and seek feedback are not going to learn from any of this. And I think all leaders do that to a degree. I've met a few of my travels that don't do that at all, but being self-reflective is one element is being able to seek feedback on that is the other critical one. So that that's what I'm hearing at the moment. Yeah. Yeah. Those are good ones. I, I certainly agree. I would say what I've come up with in the last couple of years that has been working well is creating um, one, a pathway to infuse HR skills into the leadership teams. I always knew over the years that actually HR is a workaround. Like if we have leaders with poor people skills, they don't listen that well, have HR people be like one of them per 1000 people is like not going to work and people really need their leader to. So it's been infusing that. But in that process, we really had leaders together over long periods of time talking together and when they were together practicing skills, what it has really shown me is how much support they could get from each other. They can work around each other every day and not actually really access support. And when they sit down and we do peer coaching practice, it was intended initially to work on their coaching skills. But what really partly happened is they found each other in whole new ways and they shared what hurts and they shared where they're feel embarrassed or what they're unsure about. And then they all found out like, oh, we're all having the same experience. We're all not feeling like we're able to do what we think we're supposed to be able to do. And from there, they've had a lift in their spirit and how they can show up. So I think fundamentally one thing organizations could do is have more ways their leaders connect and in some level of vulnerability and really talk about what's happening and share their problems. And they don't need to give each other advice. They mostly just need to listen to each other and show up. And when they don't feel so alone, they're better leaders. I think this idea that we just keep saying leaders should do this, 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 like they're human beings and they're not a limitless like that of like things to pull from. We have to give them more to get more from them. And so I think a lot of them are just terribly under supported. Um, and the only way to really solve for that is really each other and create a much stronger community support. So we've done that by just almost like a regular monthly session and they talk. It's so easy. It's free. The magic happens between them. It doesn't require somebody to give it to them. That's the, I'd really like to see HR transfer its skills into leadership and do things that only someone outside of that business, you know, either do that or put their time and energy in building those skills. That's great. So Catherine, just, just coming back, I know, cause you, you're from a, from a membership point of view, are there any other, before we go into you know, the last 10 minutes of, of this great discussion, because I'm just looking at the time and how quickly it's gone already. So Catherine, is there any other key challenges or trends or issues that are that are coming up from that we, we haven't discussed at the moment? Um, I'm glad that Eric raised mental health. And I think that's been quite prevalent without a doubt. I think, um, you know, mental health, mental health first aid training, um, which is a, a fairly new thing, I suppose, here in Australia, although people think it's new, it's been around for a while, but I attended that course and it was very heavy, but comprehensive and it's good to have a, a couple of people in the workplace definitely do that as go-tos because it's not necessarily a person in leadership that does it. Um, people usually put their hand up because there's, you know, it's quite personal to them, maybe in their family or friends or whatever. So they feel quite passionate about it. That's helpful. The other part to it also, another completely different topic is diversity and inclusion um, and I think um, because of the talent market being tight for some roles obviously and being candidates being quite prescriptive because they can um, 
I think it's about making sure that when you are recruiting, you widen your net to diversify your workforce. But how are you going to do that inclusion when you bring them on board? Um, you need to think of the full picture. So it's not just about making an, uh, a diverse workplace. It's about making sure that that has that whole piece of inclusion um, attached yeah. to it as well. So yeah. that onboarding and, and the employees that have, you know, always been quite um, static with their, you know, Anglo-Saxon or whatever it is in their workplace, um, now you're diversifying. How is that going to be embraced across the board as well, including, yeah. you know, all sorts of um, um, cultures and backgrounds as well, and, yeah. you know, different holiday practices and all those sorts of things. You're going back to job descriptions and um, and I, I love the whole people connection piece, which I think is we've, we've got to know, we have to know more and learn more and, and have those direct relationships. The way the way we, we then bring people in. So what's the impact been on the way we write job adverts or job descriptions? Because they can be very cold and I need a, a degree in this or and an expert in this. So do we see a shift in the way that, a bit like you said, Catherine, and I'll go to Shell first, in the way that we try to attract people? Is it Absolutely. more about their behaviours and more about how their social skills and is it now less about the technical skills? So can I just ask Shell in terms of what, what you're seeing and I'll come to you, Catherine. So is, sure. is, there, a, is there something that we need to be doing more there and, and what part do we play in that? I mean, I think one of it is, I think the value, I think the term Catherine used was value propositions. So, you know, um, I could work at this plant, this plant or this plant or this employer or this employer. So what would make me happier here? How would, would there be, would I feel happier? Is it a better place to belong? Like it, they're much so if, what I've helped teams understand is if they can't articulate why they would, if, I'll say to them, if you were sitting in a bar talking to the guy next to you, how would you explain to him why they'd want to come work here? Obviously, it's not skills. It's like, what's it like to be here? What are we like together? Do people fight all the time? Are we kind of mean to each other? No, this is a really fun place. We have a softball league and we do stuff together and we have fun. Um, I had one guy kind of sheepishly go like, well, we have fun. I'm like, fun sells. That's the kind of value proposition. They want to work where it's fun. They want to work where people feel have a sense of, of belonging or enjoy their time with each other there. And those things now, again, people have choices. They won't stay working places. They don't have to because they're not stuck. So we need to create places they want to work. So I think it's helping the team, like even as they interview and certainly in the ad being more clear, but I think more of it's when they start to engage with the person, creating an experience that the person is going to be like, I'd like to be part of this team. I mean, community and teamwork is always one of the big pieces that needs to, is always got to be part of that mix a lot of the time. The career leveling, making sure there's a path for people. They're, they want to know they can come in here and build skills. There'll be a plan for me and I'll go somewhere. And over time, those kinds of things. But making sure they can articulate that and make that value proposition clear. Uh, sorry, Kevin, just an observation. Um, I just recently recorded a podcast with a uh, demographer, social researcher who talked about the latest census data in Australia. And because of obviously it's a leadership podcast that we're all participating in, I thought I would bring this in. He suggested to me quite strongly that younger generations coming through when they're talking about the world of work, want meaningful work, want to know that they're going to be valued and that, they're, um, that the values that they want are reflected in the organisations that they're looking for and so the idea about um, just focusing on technical skills as you suggested Kevin may be a thing of the past but um, get on to seek right now in most job categories there are still old school ways of recruiting and I think what candidates are tending to do and I have a couple of friends at the moment who are looking for jobs they will call and ask about the position and certain elements that may not be talked about in the position description. So that 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 world, I, I think, will change over time. And if you can agree that maybe it's not just a great resignation, it might be a great opportunity for businesses to do some things. I think that's the kind of thing that I've been hearing um, here so far. So um, yeah, sorry, sorry for the interjection, Kevin. Uh I think it's great. I was going to give one example, then I'll come to Catherine, then we're going to go into the last five minutes. But uh, I was talking to um, a gentleman in a member walking around and he was contract labor hire. And I was just interested, well, what's it been like for you? And he said, well, he said, it's really interesting. So prior to, to two, three years ago, he was contract labor hire. He would just wait for that first call. I've got a job for you tomorrow. He would just snatch at it. All right. He would just snatch, go and work. 
and and almost as he would say live live by the consequences of that he he's now in a position where at 6 p.m the night before he gets six offers right for contract work the following day he will take time out to find look at the company there is some where is it how far have i got to travel that type of thing but he said he would sit there for a little while and go well, actually i actually know that company and i know what their culture is like or oh, hang on a minute, a friend of mine worked there last week and said, never go back there, you know? So you're at the point where even someone in contract labor, and he says, look, I need to work, you know, I really need to work, is taking that time out to do some research before accepting a day's work. Uh, it's a real interesting dynamic. And the more yeah. I thought of it, I thought, wow, that's just, that's just quite scary in the terms of, and I don't yeah. think businesses get that, or there are not as many are getting it and i think that's what i'm what i'm hearing as well so um all right i want to just go through we've got five minutes left so what i want from cheryl and from from catherine and a little bit of Erica as well we know we get the paint so if we've got a group of listeners here that, that, that have listened to this through there i'm after three top tips recommendations if you were saying now i'm sitting here what do you think i we now should be doing from an hr perspective and then right at the very end, we, we like to do one key takeaway from, from the discussion. So is anybody, so what, what top, top three tips for, from an HR perspective you're going to give back to the listeners and the organisations here? Who would like to go first? I think ask more questions of your, of your people and listen. So that's two. <laughs> ask, listen and think differently. So, yep. you know, Think differently about your responses as well. Think outside of the box and really, really listen because the answers are there. Your people can tell you what, what you need to know and they're very valuable because they stay for a reason, as Cheryl said, they stay for a reason and it's what's in it for them. If it's what's in it for them from a candidate perspective, then ask them what they want. They won't have a whole shopping list of things there. It'll It'll really be about realistically what they need in their life and in their job at that point don't make assumptions i think you pick up they stay for a reason but they also go for a reason as yeah. well which is the other one that we need to pick up on cheryl what would be just some of your top tips my first one uh, actually has really come out of more the last few years of looking at how individuals what they need and what makes them happy So recently I was asked, what's one thing everybody could do in our organization that would make this a better company? And I said, basically, find one way to make your work role fit you better. Find one way that you would enjoy your job a little more. I think if people could find more ways to get their work, create more joy for them or be a better fit, that really is going to be partly the path forward. So I think it's going to be find ways for your people to be able to do their jobs and enjoy it a little more in whatever way they do it and how they do it and, and whatever choices that can be made. Uh, the second thing I think is definitely involve your people more in the solutions. I continue to see, especially when the going's tough, leaders feel like we'll solve it. Somehow we're smarter. That's why they put us in leadership jobs. So I think it's um, engage more of your team, even in the recruiting effort, bring more people in, get more people involved, more people contribute ideas and thoughts to whatever the people, especially the people problems are that you're facing. And the third I would put is experiment. One of the things that happens anywhere near people changes is like, well, if we do this, we'll have to do this forever and 10 other things and the problems that could happen. I'm like, just try it. Try it for a day. See what happens. Try it for a week and see if anything breaks. And if nothing breaks, do it another week and just do some things and try some things. And so just try experimenting rather than wholesale changes. Yeah. Fantastic. Fantastic. Eric, is any, well, let's go to you. What's a key takeaway? I'll let Cheryl and Kathy think about what's a, one key message or takeaway from from this discussion, this great discussion. I might do this in two parts. Some some or something I'm drawing from both our guests today. So, firstly, in no particular order of importance, I think it's when you talk about what do you need in a leadership toolkit. I think this understanding of what HR means and what your people means is a whole new, different frontier in in certain stratas of leadership. I don't. I'm not saying this that in every organisation, every leader has to be 100% across the HR function, but definitely the thinking around what uh, best practice HR looks like going into the future is something I think is is a valuable addition to any leader's toolkit. That would be my first takeaway from this. 
And the second one is about understanding the culture of the organization that you're in and what what does it mean for the people around you being there? What does it mean for them? And then by by extension, if you are going to sell the benefits of working in your business, what would you say that isn't about the money that you're going to get or the technical expertise that you need to do the role? And I think that might flip on its head how you recruit the right people. And and maybe a third one, and, and this was Cheryl brought this up, maybe you get more people involved in the business in recruiting the people coming in. And if you're wanting high performing teams, organizations, taking growth opportunities, all of that good stuff, you need to have a good foundation. And that foundation is your people. So that that would be my takeaway from today, mate. That's some some good ones there. So thank you very much. Catherine, what would uh, what's just one thing that's resonating with you from this discussion? I suppose more than anything it did have to be to do with just making sure that organisations, you know, I can only I can only resonate with what Eric and Cheryl have said already, and yourself, Kevin, that that buy-in, you know, having buy-in right from um, uh, a cross section of people in your business around decision making or collaboration more so than anything, involving you know people at different levels of the organisation as well, as um, Cheryl said also. Just because you're in leadership doesn't necessarily, oh, I don't think you said this, but anyway, just because you're in leadership doesn't necessarily mean you're the only person that's a decision maker. You know, having people that are at, you know, on the lines and those sorts of things have got in, invaluable information to share because they're in the roles every day. So learning from the people around you can help you build an organisation that works for everyone. Fantastic. Cheryl? Yeah. Um, first of all, this word pre pre Presenteeism, presenteeism, I'm that, taking that. I oh, love that word. Yeah, I love that word. So I, that's one takeaway. And two, I think just in this discussion is it's a new day. And, you know, we're going to continue to see how things evolve. I think what's exciting is things are going to need to change. So we'll, what happens when things need to change is they generally do. We find new answers to situations. Something about human nature finds its path. So so some things will probably come out of this. And my guess, hopefully some of them will be really good. Oh, that's fantastic. And I think for me, uh, I think you've picked up on the takeaway uh, that, that the employee experience, the engagement, we do some great stuff in people and lean and in continuous improvement. We've just got to start applying it back internally and in ourselves. And I think adding the HR to the leadership, I think is it isn't just a side bolt on anymore. It's a key ingredient of being a, a good leader and including a great business. So, uh, all right, well, we're going to bring that. Yeah, what a fascinating discussion, change your role of, of HR. And we'd be really keen when we publish this podcast to obviously get, get all your feedback. Can I put a, a big thank you to Catherine from AI Group? It's been great to have you involved and we look forward to having you more involved as we come across these discussions as well. And you've now completed your first podcast. So congratulations. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. It's been a pleasure being and here. Thank you, everyone. No problem. And Cheryl, great to, and thank you, because I know it's, it's evening last night for you from there. Really looking forward to catching up in October as a study tour and, and Dallas as well. And Cheryl is a published author as well and got some great books on Lean HR and, and does some great things. So Cheryl, thank you very much. Greatly appreciated. Good to meet you. Good to meet you, Eric. I'll look forward to hearing from you. Catherine really enjoyed meeting you and I love yeah. that word. So I'm that now it's been my vocabulary. Okay. There you go. That's fantastic. And Eric, it's been a pleasure as always. And I hope this really, I think this just really builds on the dynamic conversation we're having across these different topics. Yeah. Thank you for the invite. And thanks for your time, guys. This was great. All right. Well, thank thanks so much, everybody. I'm going to bring this uh, Best Practice Network Talking Leadership podcast to a close. Please look out for our other series. And uh, if you want to get involved in one of these, just give us a call. Thanks very much, everybody.